Our scripture lessons today, we start off in Luke chapter 10 for a gospel text. Just a few little verses, 17 through 20, where Jesus has sent the 70 out, they return, and they have something to say, and he has something to say to them. Listen here to God's word. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Amen. Our first epistle reading is from Galatians chapter 4. We'll read verses 21 through 31. Let me get a little drink here. I've had allergy issues this week, and there's still a little bit of a touch of that there going on, so I need to lubricate a little bit. This passage in Galatians 4 is addressed to a church, a congregation, that's tending toward legalism, of uh, going back to Jewish ceremonies and rites to assure their right standing with God. And Paul addresses that here very clearly. Listen here to God's Word. Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Amen. And then our primary text today is from Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 18 through 29. It's reaching a crescendo here. All through Hebrews, the writer, whether it be Paul or Apollos or Barnabas or someone whom we don't know, we don't know who wrote it for sure. Those three names have all been suggested. (coughs) Reaches a crescendo here with uh, what it is that Christians are supposed to have their eyes fixed on. Listen here to God's Word. 
For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. (coughs) See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word. Gracious God, we are aware of our humanity. We need you. And so we ask you to come. Minister to us, minister through us. Do that good and gracious work. Fill our hearts and our lives with your truth. And may we walk as your children, glad, obedient, and fruitful. These things we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you have vision? Can you see what God is pointing out? You need to see what God says. It's a nice mixture of metaphors, right? You need to see what God says. Oh, well, it's all right. We believe the Bible is true. All of it. <coughs> it's without error. It's totally trustworthy. It's to be believed. We believe that it's understandable. There are difficult passages here and there, but uh, it's understandable. The whole broad scope of what the Bible says is there. It's straightforward. <coughs> if that's so, we need to know that the Bible speaks allegorically. Now, that's a big no-no for some folks. Uh, some folks will emphasize, you have to be literal, word for word. Well, which is it? Literal, word for word, or allegorical? Well, it's both. You shall not steal means you shall not steal, right? You know, there, there's no allegory about that at all. You shall honor your father and your mother. No allegory about that, right? How about this one? Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 29. 
If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, throw it away. Literal or allegorical? Well, it's allegorical. First of all, how do you know it's your right eye? Huh? I see the same thing if I close my right eye or if I close my left eye. I'd have to pluck them both out. You know? What Jesus is saying there, we need to hear, see what he says. He says, if there's something valuable to you, as valuable and trustworthy and good as your right eye, (coughs) but it's causing you to stumble, to uh, waver in your walk with him, take it out, throw it away. It's better to enter life with one eye than to go to hell with two eyes. That's what he says. By the way, a big eye, for many of us, is hanging right on the walls of our living rooms. For some, a big eye is right here in the palm of your hand. And that little thing you put there and you look at it. Yeah, yeah. That can be. Uh, I mentioned this here at the outset because each of our texts today, all three of the texts, require a non-literal, that is, they require an allegorical reading, which is, in fact, the literal reading, because the literal meaning is what the author intended to say in the way that he's meant to say it. <clears throat> Paul says the same thing in Galatians 4.24 that we just read. He says these are allegorically to be understood this way. So what are the passages going to point to? Here's what they point to. There are only two types of religion in the world. Got that? There's only two types, all of them. There's that which is based on human understanding and human ability. There's that type of religion. And then there's that which is based on human limitations and human inability. That is, there's one where humans do the work, and there's another where God does the work. That's the only two types of religion there are. There's only one religion that falls in that second category that bases itself on Human limitations and human inability, that's Christianity. All the other religions of the world somehow depend on us, our actions and things that we do to make our way back toward God. Christianity says, no, you're, you're lost. You're in bad shape. You need help. You don't just need help. You need a Savior. And God is able to save even you, redeem even you. That's what Christianity says. Now, what Paul in writing to the Galatians says, Mount Sinai in Arabia equals the present Jerusalem. Says that to the Galatians. As a side note, you wonder, Mount Sinai in Arabia, hum, 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 hum. What does that mean? But he's saying that the, the Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were received, where they were given, uh, that that is... <laughs> Uh, one mountain. Was that a bad thing? Well, no, it was wonderful. It was blessed. It was a good thing. God spoke and wrote it down and said, here's, here's <clears throat> my law, here's the word. It's good. Well, my question then is, why is everyone down on this mountain? Well, first of all, the people there were not wanting to hear from God, but to do their own thing. When Moses came down from the mountain, what did he see the people doing? They were playing and carousing, and he smashed the tablets and all that. On top of that, they were frightened by the accompanying sounds and 
that, that God had on top of the mountain, and they said, we don't want to hear from God, Moses. You speak to us for God. And according to 1 Corinthians 10, God was not pleased with that generation at all. They all perished in the wilderness. Now, folk use the picture of that mountain in two ways. We still do this today. We know that God speaks, says some things. So on the one hand, you have people who are very meticulous. And they, they set up all these things that you must do to be exactly right with God. And they, here's what it is. Do this and you're okay. The legalists are in sight here. And so they, true Christians say, well, hold on, you can't, you can't do that. The other hand, some of those use that mountain and say, well, you know, uh, it's very accommodating. Just these rules here, the ones I choose, and that's all we really need to do. And just like you have legalists, so you have leisurists, I would say, those who at your leisure follow God. Others have legalists who say, man, we're going to push in and do it all ourselves. <clears throat> Both are wrong. Because we, human beings, design and build the bridge to God. It's all our own work, all our own imagination. Uh, I could give examples of that, but we will not do that. Now, there's another way which people use it wrongly. That is, they use that God spoke this way to make up their own, to make those rules and go on. But other folks say, well, <coughs> and perhaps this is <clears throat> the more common one today, is that they use this mountain in, in where God gave the Ten Commandments as a reason for not coming to God. He's too condemning. He's too judgmental. You hear that with some regularity. God is just so harsh. He's just not, you know, I don't want a God like that. He's too demanding. No one can do all those things. I need a God who understands me more than that. Well, what can we say about that? Well, these folk are actually correct, unfortunately. Now wait, John, you said that we're down on them, but why are these folk correct? Because God is, in fact, very meticulous. Very meticulous. If you're going to come to him on the basis of what you've done or what you've not done, you better watch out. Because he's going to ask about some things you don't want to have him ask about. Because he's very, very meticulous. Down to the nano level, right? So if that's the basis of your building a relationship with God, is your performance of certain things and not doing other things, uh, you cannot be meticulous enough. But you're right, God is meticulous. And then the other folk are, are correct also because God is in fact very fearsome. <laughs> How does our text from Hebrews end? Our God is a consuming fire. We need to know that God is not to be dallied with. Now, you can run from judgment, but you cannot evade it. So all those folks who are running away from God, they're trying to evade God, they will not do that in the end. It will happen. So that's the one mountain that both our texts in Galatians and Hebrews talk about, that mountain there where it's... <coughs> <clears throat> filled with commands, and uh, sometimes we try to build on top of them, and sometimes we just take some of them, but, but those are the texts, those are the, that's the mountain that our texts say is not the right mountain. 
So what is the true mountain? And here's where Hebrews comes in so good. Uh, the whole flow of Hebrews is all pointing to the city of God. Remember, Abraham and all the patriarchs, they were looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Uh, they were looking for, for a, a place that was of their own, not, not back where they were, but ahead. And here, finally, in Hebrews 12, we're defined with what that city is. They were pilgrims. They knew they were pilgrims here on this earth. Do you know that nothing on this earth will last? Isn't that wonderful? Are you aware of that? This all will be dust and ashes. All of us will be dust and ashes. Nothing here will last. If, if all you're living for is what's here, it won't last. They knew that. And so they had their eyes fixed on something better. A city which has foundations that do last. The gospel tells us about that land and tells us how we can get there. So, let's think of our text from, from Luke where Jesus sends the 70 out. They go out and do all sorts of things in his name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're amazed. <coughs> Not only is healing there <clears throat> and all those things, but even the demons are subject to them. They come back rejoicing that the, and tell them, you know, that the demons are subject to us. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, yes, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. <clears throat> now, was Satan falling from heaven right then like lightning? No. Jesus is using a figure of speech to say, I saw all of what was going on. He knows that. And what's happening is the dethroning of the God of this world, which is accompanied by great signs, and the kingdom of God was breaking in. You were ambassadors for me. And what you said what you did, you ministered in my name, and I brought my power to bear in people's lives. That's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> now, he's aware that they're liable to get caught up in all the things they can do. He says, but don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you in my name. Don't rejoice in that. What are they to rejoice at? That your names are written in heaven. Right? That's the great miracle. That God comes, picks people out by name. He says, your names, not just a mass of you, your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in that. Now, that's the mountain to which both Paul and the writer of Hebrews, who may have been Paul, uh, refer to in the, writing, the text that we read today. Jesus is saying that, the devil's a defeated foe. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is broken in, and it's going to grow and continue on until that day when judgment happens and it's complete. So what is the mountain to which we're attached? If you're part of the people of God, it's the city of the living God. What does that mean? That means you can know God. God knows you. You have a personal relationship. Now, before I was a Christian, that did not resonate with me. I, I couldn't understand that kind of language. That's Christian jargon. 
How can you have a personal relationship with God? Right? But there came that point in time when God came and met me, revealed himself to me and by his spirit, by the word of God, and I knew God. And all of a sudden I knew what that meant. Now I wish all my life were as intense and holy and blessed as that time was, but that goes up and down. But he, he came and revealed himself to me and made me new that I could have fellowship with him. And I do. So I know that God is the living God. He's not some construct of someone's mind. He's not a, an article that someone's made over here that you, you pray to. He's the living God who's involved in all the things that go on, who knows what's happening. It says that that city to which we're going, that mountain where we're at, it's the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the Jerusalem, Jerusalem that's certain and true. Jerusalem over in Israel will be down again sometime, ultimately. And the heavenly Jerusalem is the one that, that lasts forever. That's where we want to have our citizenship. That's where we want to be. That's where you are if you're a Christian. It says, it's the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That means that there's a whole great body of people that God has called by name and put them there. They're the assembly, they're the church of the firstborn. There may be some here who are firstborn, but not firstborn in the eyes of God. But we receive, we're joint heirs with Christ. And we have all the privileges, all the blessings, all the joys of the firstborn, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We're with him side by side. He brings us to himself. We have that for eternity. It says it's also the place where God is the judge of all. And it's not a fearful thing. Because it says he's the judge of all to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect. Don't you long for that day? When that's completely true? Now God's done a good work in my life. I can look back and I can see his work of transformation. But I can look right where I'm at today and say, well God, there's a few more places that could use your touch. <laughs> you ever experienced that? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but there's a day coming when the spirits of the righteous made perfect, complete, without sin, without any deviation at all, will be there. And that God, the judge of all, will, will stand before, like it says at the end of June, <coughs> with great joy, full of confidence, without fear, the very presence of God, because he's made us perfect. How does he do that? Then says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ is how that happens. That's the gospel. Just like the disciples went out, they preached in Jesus' name, those things happen. It's Jesus who does that. He's the mediator of a new covenant, and <clears throat> his blood was poured out. And it says that blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now, you say, what does the blood of Abel have to do with me? Well, that goes back to the, the first interhuman sin, if you would, between brothers, where Cain killed Abel, buried his body, tried to hide it, 
God comes and says, well, Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Really? You're going to try that with me? The blood of your brother Abel is crying to me from the ground. All of us. You know what the devil does with some correctness? He reminds us of all the things we've done. You know, I'm a preacher, so I go talk with people, and it's amazing. People are aware of, of all the things they've done. Even though it's all washed away, they're aware of this. And uh, the devil will come up and throw them up there. And, and <clears throat> the thing is, the blood of Christ. And so all the things we've done are like the blood of Abel. We try to cover them up. We try to hide them and all that. But they'll still speak, except that the blood of Jesus speaks better. Amen. Isn't that good? I have the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, to speak better than all those things that the accuser of the brethren would come up and throw at me, and some of them are things that I've, I should have confessed long ago, but I didn't, and some of the things I did confess long ago, he's trying to bring them back up. Well, no, the blood of Jesus covers that. That's the mountain to which we're going. That's the mountain to which we have our eyes fixed. The General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, where God's the judge and the spirits of righteous men are made perfect, and the blood of Jesus speaks better than anything else. So what's our response to be? Well, how does that happen? How do I get enrolled? Not by our might or by our power, but by the work of the Spirit of God. So that's why Jesus gives the reminder to his disciples, don't rejoice that you have all these things you're doing. Rejoice that your names are enrolled in heaven. Rejoice that I've come and redeemed you and made you my own. And Christ can come and make you his own. Your friend down the street, your neighbor, your brother, God can do that. So we have hope for all. Because God can call and make them his own. So our response then, don't refuse his call. We need to respond. We do need to say yes to God. We do need to say yes and embrace what God calls us to. And there's a shaking that's going to come. A shaking that's going to shake the whole world, he says. That comes in lives, but things that happen there where you'll find what your life is really built on. But the, the whole world is going to be shaken when Christ returns. Only the heavenly city, the powerful mountain Zion will stand. Therefore, we should show gratitude to God for making us part of that mountain with reverence and awe, thanksgiving, gratitude to God for what he's done for us. So my prayer this morning is that God will give us vision. Give us a vision that sees who he is, sees what he's called us to, see where he's leading us, see where this is all going. that he's going to get us there. And then with reverence and with awe, we can worship him with gratitude, with thankful hearts, joyous voices before his throne. What a joyous privilege to give thanks to God for his inestimable grace and favor toward us. Two mountains, one based on human understanding and human works, one based on human inabilities and human 
Not understanding, but God's work? Where are you? Which mountain are you living on? Which mountain are you getting your fruit from? May it be on the mountain of God's grace. Amen.